Let's take our Bible and go over to the book of Exodus chapter 32. The very first song we sung tonight, I don't want to get adjusted. Uh, we're going to kind of deal. Uh, that, kind, that song kind of goes along uh, with this message tonight. I sat in my study and I tried to talk to the Lord. When, when I got this message, I thought, boy, it's a pretty good message. And then and the closer it got time as I studied and looked at it and got ready for it, I was trying to convince the Lord to uh, not necessarily not make me preach it, but just to be sure that it's the uh, right message for the hour. Uh, and my intention with this message is not to beat up on you. Uh, I'm afraid I could preach it that way. And that's not really my intentions is to beat up on us. Uh, but I want us to be able to see some things that maybe we need to fix if we need to fix it. If you don't need to fix it, then, then you move right on. And that's what I always say. If, if the message don't, if it don't get you in the heart, then it's probably not, it's probably not for you. If I could put it that way, uh, and God may not be dealing with you in that way, or maybe it's not your problem. Uh, but tonight I want us to look in Exodus chapter 32. I'll ask you to stand tonight. You pray for your preacher as we get ready to preach. Uh, Exodus chapter 32, let's begin to read in verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives and of your sons and of your daughters and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten cake. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people. Let me park right here. I know I read you this the other day. I love how the Lord pawns it off on Moses. He said, Thy people. God didn't say my people. He said, Thy people. What do you mean? It's kind of like when your son or your daughter does something that they should not do and you tell your husband or your wife and you say, Your son or your daughter done this right here. I don't think God really wants to claim them right here. And he says, go get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. And they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made, a molten, made them a molten cake and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and says, these be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. You be seated tonight. Lord, we come to you. We thank you for another time to stand and preach. 
Lord, I really believe this to be the message for the hour tonight. I believe that, I pray that each of us would take it to heart while I preach tonight, including me. And Lord, as we look at this message, I pray that you would deal with folk and if they need to fix some things, I pray they'd do that. And Lord, I, encourage, I pray that you'd encourage the one tonight that's lost to get saved and help the one that needs help tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd touch us and own us afresh tonight and give us unction from the Holy One. And Lord, I pray you'd help us. Let's say everything needs to be said, but nothing that don't need to be. And we'll give you the glory for all this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, in, this, in, in this passage of Scripture, uh, you find that Moses uh, uh, is on top of the mount. Uh, he's went, I believe it's Mount Sinai. He's on top of Mount Sinai. And he is uh, now receiving uh, uh, and that how to build the tabernacle. Uh, God is giving him the pattern of how to build the tabernacle. God's giving him the pattern for the ark. God's giving him the pattern for uh, the Urim and the Thurim and uh, all, those, all those clothes that Aaron and his son's going to wear. God uh, is laying out the pattern for exactly what he wants. And so here Moses, he is on top of the mound and he's been gone for a little while. And, uh, and the children of Israel, they come to Aaron uh, uh, and, and here's what they said. Uh, uh, they said, up make us gods which shall go uh, before us. And, and they said, because we don't know uh, what happened to Moses. He's been up in the mount for a while. We don't know where he's at. And I begin to think about this. And the children of Israel said, make us some gods. And so what does he do? He makes some gods. He takes a tool and he melts down the golden earrings which they all had. And the Bible said in verse 4 that he fashions it. And after he made a molten calf, they said, now not only Aaron, but they, I don't know who they are, uh, but it's more than Aaron. And somebody's here saying, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now think about Stop for just a second and think about that. How big of a hand and how big of a deal did God make to bring them up out of the land of Egypt? Think about everything that took place down in the land of Egypt. How he turned the water into blood. How that he brought the flies and the lice and the locusts. And he brought the frogs and he brought the darkness. He brought the bulls and the moraine. And he killed the very firstborn and he parted the Red Sea that the children of Israel could come out of the land of Egypt. But here they stand with a golden calf in front of them and they say, this is the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. But then they make this statement right here in verse 5. Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Now some of y'all have heard me make this statement before. Reckon they were going to feast to the Lord God of heaven. I believe they were. I believe they were going to hold a feast and that to the God of heaven. But I also believe they were holding a feast and that uh, to that golden calf uh, that was in front of them. How do you know that? Because God says on down here to Moses in a little bit, he said they have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. And they've made a molten cave and have worshipped him and have sacrificed unto him and said, These be thy gods with her, which, brought, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And so here they are. And what they've done, if I could say this, is they've 
uh, not only instituted idol worship, uh, but they've cheapened uh, uh, and that the work of God, and they've cheapened and that the power of God, because He's the one that brought them out. Now the world uh, cheapens uh, the things of God. Do you know what the word cheapen means? Uh, it literally means to depreciate uh, uh, or to make lesser in value. That's what the word cheapen means. And this is what they've done right here is they have cheapened uh, uh, the work of God. They have attributed it uh, uh, to some golden calves over here uh, uh, and they said God didn't do that. But here I believe they've got a mixture uh, uh, because tomorrow is a feast of the Lord uh, and I believe that capital L in verse 5 refers to the Lord God of heaven. Uh, and what they've got is a mixture uh, of idol worship uh, and the Lord God of heaven mixed together. You may not see it that way, but I do. Can I tell you real quick, the world cheapens the things of God. You go to the book of Romans, you can read Romans chapter 1 over there, and it talks about all their sin. Uh, but in verse 23, it says, And change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image uh, made like the corruptible man and the birds and the four footed beasts uh, and creeping things. The world wants to make God uh, like us. That's what they do. They try to bring God down to our level. I'm going to tell you, if you can get a God brought down to your level, you ain't got much of a God. I'm, I'm glad that there's a God in heaven tonight. And listen, He brought them out uh, uh, with a mighty hand. And think about all the things that God has done for you and brought you through. Uh, uh, and boy, ain't you glad tonight of what He's done. Amen. He's already told them not to have, in the book of Exodus, any gods before Him. Go back to Exodus 20. You go back just a few chapters and you find that where he told them not to do that. And here they are. I mean, he's done great things for them. Uh, uh, and here they are cheapening uh, uh, the work and the value of God in their life. Now, as church people and as saved people and as Christians, we may not do it on that level as far as making a golden calf. But I'm going to tell you, if we ain't careful tonight, we'll cheapen the things of God. We'll make it of lesser value. We do not, listen, we do not put it where it belongs in our life and so therefore it becomes of lesser value. Don't you listen to me now? Because I really want this thing to help you. Just a couple of things. First of all, number one, we do it with the Bible. Well, we're King James Bible believers, preacher. Yeah, I know we are. And boy, thank God we are tonight. Amen. I'm glad that God has given us a book that we can believe and we can trust. I believe it's a pure book. I believe it's a perfect book. Preacher, do you really? I really believe that tonight. This book is perfect. I mean, what was it? Psalm 12, the words of the Lord are pure words. A pure words. That means they're perfect. As silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. You realize tonight the book that I'm holding in my hand is the seventh English-speaking revision of the Bible tonight. The King James Bible. 
I mean, one that before was Geneva Bible. I believe it was, and that was the sixth English speaking. And God worked this thing out. If you, if me and you would go study, and I've studied some, I, I, but study how God preserved this thing. I, he said, His silver tried in the first verse, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. I believe God uh, preserved us a book tonight. Amen. I'm just a King James Bible believer. I was listening uh, to Brother Ted preach this morning on the way over here and he said he talked to a lady one time that said, uh, you know, there's people that believe that God sent us the King James Bible down from heaven. He said, I'm one of them. Amen. I believe it come down from heaven. Yes, I do. And God, if you look in the book of Deuteronomy, Proverbs in the book of the Revelation, you'll find that he said not to mess with this thing, not to change it. In the book of Deuteronomy, it said, You shall not add unto the, unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish out from it, uh, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Proverbs said, Every word of God is pure. It is a shield unto them that they put their trust in him, uh, uh, that, 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 them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Revelation 22, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these uh, uh, things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. If any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. I don't believe there's anybody sitting in here tonight that would monkey with this book. Not intentionally. I don't think you would change it and mark it out and say that don't belong there and that ain't right. And say we need to write another version I hope that you would not do that. But what we're guilty of tonight, if we're not careful in cheapening God's word, is we just don't listen to it. We just don't pay attention to it. It's not that we change it, it's just we just don't believe it. We just don't do what it says to do. I mean, it's either this book's got value or it don't. I mean, either the Word of God is right or it ain't. I mean, listen tonight. I mean, this book right here uh, is full of so much. You realize that this book tonight, now listen to me, uh, it, it'll teach you uh, uh, and that how to run your marriage. It'll teach you how to run your home. It'll teach you how to be a good husband and a good wife uh, and a good mom and a good dad. It'll teach you how to be a good child. It'll teach you how to correct your children. It'll teach you how to raise children. Well, say, well, preacher, we know that, yeah. But let me ask you tonight, are you doing what it says in those things right there? Are you running your home on this book? Are you raising your children on this book? Or are you doing it some other way? Who are you? know, if you don't listen to this book, you'll listen to somebody. You'll listen to something or somebody else if you're not listening to that book right there. I mean, you'll, you'll do that, and what it'll do is you're cheapening uh, uh, the Word of God. It's what you're doing. You're telling God uh, the way the world wants to do it is better than what you're saying to do, God. Is that not what they done in the book of Exodus right here? So, preacher, do you think that thing works for every avenue of life? Yes, I do. I, th- I think if you'll read it and seek out God out of this book, He'll give us direction. But if we're not careful, we'll cheapen it and want to do it our way or the world's way or some other way but not His way. Amen. You know how to educate your children? Get in this book. 
Are you saying, preacher, I can't look at the way the world's doing some things and not do it that way? You, you can do it that way as long as it's not contradictory to this book. If it's contradictory to this book, you better leave it alone. I mean, I'm just trying to be as honest as I know tonight. What people are doing is they're mixing uh, and that the world with spiritual matters uh, and we have cheapened uh, the things of God. And here's what I, right here is what I'm afraid we're like a lot of times. Take your Bible and go to the book of 1 Samuel. Go, go to 1 Samuel. And look in chapter 15. You find King Saul. God has given King Saul... Some instruction. 1 Samuel chapter 15. You know how to run your home? Get in a book. You know how to raise your children? Get in a book. You know how to be a good, you know how to be a good citizen? Get in a book. You know how to be a good uh, worker on the job? Get in a book. I mean, it'll tell us that stuff. I mean, Paul tells us over there how to be a good worker, how to be a good servant. I mean, he tells us that stuff over there. For Samuel chapter 50, he tells me how to be a good pastor. He'll tell you how to be a good church member. Amen. Are we doing okay tonight? All right. For Samuel chapter 15, look in verse 1. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king uh, over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now you need to remember that. You need to remember what God has told Saul. Go kill them all. That's what he said. It don't matter what they are, who they are over there, you kill them all. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them and uh, telling him uh, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amal- Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. You better be careful who you run with. Amen. Amen. Uh, had Saul not had mercy and grace on them right here, he'd have just killed them all. He'd have just killed them all. Verse 7, And small and Saul smote the Amalekites uh, from Havilah until thou comest to Shur that is over against Egypt. And he took Achak, king of the Amalekites, alive. That's a problem. And utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Achak and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Go back to verse 3. Now go and smite Amalek. And utterly destroy all that they have, and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. That's what he said. He said, You go kill it all. But in verse 9, you find that's not what King Saul did. Verse 10. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king. For he has turned back from following me and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried unto the Lord all night. 
And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel and behold he set him up a place and he's gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. Now pay attention verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I'm afraid we get that way sometimes. He'd done what he wanted to, part of it, and then the other part he didn't do. But he said, I've done what God said to do. No, he didn't. He done part of it. He done some of it, but he put his will in and the will of the people where God's will was, and he done what he wanted to do instead of obeying God's word. Ain't that what he done? He cheapened, he thought God, I don't know how you will look at it tonight, but he cheapened God's wills, what he done. He didn't think it was worth that much. What do you mean? Well, if he thought it was worth something, he'd have done it. But he thought what he thought and what the people thought was better than what God thought. And Samuel said in verse 14, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears? And the lowing of the oxen which I hear and saw said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. God didn't say that. God didn't say, Bring me something to sacrifice. God didn't say that. He said, Utterly destroy them. They cheapened what God had to say. I understand the world doing that tonight because the world don't care. And if the Word of God fits their need for the time, they'll believe it. They'll, they'll say it, they'll quote it, uh, they'll think it, uh, uh, and that's what they'll do. But when it don't suit them, then they won't do it. Do we cheapen the Word of God in our life? That's just a question. Do we do it? Do we cheapen the Word of God? I hope not. Do we cheapen the will of God that comes from His Word and from what He wants us to do, doing it our way, Saul done it his way. He cheapened. He, he thought it of lesser value. So the Word of God. What do you think about the Word of God tonight? Where does it reign? Where is it in your life tonight? I looked at this message and when I laid it out there and I was looking at it, I thought, my soul. I looked at it and I thought, I, 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 you know, I look at it about preaching it and then I started looking at it about in my life. Where does the Word of God fall out in my life? What do I think about the Word of God? What is the value of the Word of God in my life? Do I run my home on the Word of God? Do I pastor this church on the Word of God? Are you raising your children on the Word of God tonight? We cheapen the Word of God sometimes if we're not careful. I can point about what a lot of other churches and what a lot of other people are doing tonight, but I'm not preaching to them. I'm preaching to us. But let me park right here and say there are a lot of other people sitting in churches tonight that are cheapening the Word of God. But then number two, our worship and our worship services. Now I'm talking about cheapening the things of God and lessening the value 
Right here, they right here they have mixed, if I could say that, they have they have cheapened their worship and that of the God of heaven. Can I ask, I wonder, I really do. I thought about this when I was looking over this and studying this. I thought about how many of us, including the preacher now, okay, worship. We call it a worship service, but is it? And, and how, how many of us really worship God? Do, do you know what the, what the worship means to adore, to pay divine honors to, or to reverence with supreme Respect. How many of us worship? I kind of wonder about that. Worship, you've heard me say this before. Worship is putting God where He belongs on His throne and us into a place of humility and we've got Him lifted up and us on our faces. If you go all through the Bible, y'all know this, and you do a word study on worship, when it is talking about worship and it's talking about it in the verb, when they're actually doing it, when it is the action of worship, most of the time they're on their faces to the ground. There is a difference between worship and praise. And I'm talking about worship. We praise the Lord with our mouth. We praise the Lord with our hands. We praise Him with our body. But listen tonight, worship is a place of our heart tonight. So let me ask you tonight, do we worship God? And when we do worship, how do we come to Him? Now let me me say tonight, I want you to get this, God takes a sinner however they are. Don't matter. Don't matter what they're doing, where they've been, how wicked they are, any of those things. Don't matter how they're dressed, how long their hair is or short, God don't care about that. He just wants the soul. But let me say this tonight, that after you get saved and you begin to serve God, I think He does care. A lot of people want to come to God even after they get saved just any old way and it don't work that way. Take your Bible and go to the book of Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. Look with me right here. Exodus 19. Look in verse 9. They've not been out of Egypt that long. God has got them across the Red Sea. Uh, He's fed them with manna. And in verse 9, And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes. And be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon the Mount Sinai, upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death. Thou shalt not in hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. 
And Moses went down from the mount unto the people and sanctified the people. And they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, Be ready against the third day. Uh, uh, come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and thick cloud upon the mount, the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. When's the last time you ever got around the glory of God and trembled? When's the last time you ever got in the presence of God and trembled? And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the nether part of the mountain. Now do you notice what, what, what they were doing? They were meeting with God. What did he tell them to do? He said, you need to go get sanctified. I preached on that just about three weeks ago, two weeks ago, and that means to be separated out and set apart. He said, I want you to wash your clothes. Not only does he want them separated out of the world uh, physically and spiritually, he said, I want them to wash their clothes. He said, I want them to be clean when they get up here. I don't think it'd be a bad thing if we was to tighten some things up when we got ready to meet with God. When we come in this building, I think it'd be okay if we tighten some things up. I think it'd be okay if we dress a little different than we do when we're out working. Amen? You know why I dress the way I do? One, I was trained to dress this way. I was. That's the way I was trained to do it. Uh, whether, whether I, I'm not saying we sat down and had a class uh, on, on preachers or to dress this way, but every preacher I ever had dressed this way. Every one of them did. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, that's just the way it is. But you know, as I got older, I realized that I was coming in here to meet with God. I mean, I'm st- and, and we call it the sacred death sometimes. And I get that, that listen, there, there's not a whole lot of holiness in this piece of wood, but I am trying to meet with God right here. I mean, I think there's a lot of preachers and church people, they cheapen preaching sometimes. Well, it's just a preacher. It's just old Mark up there spouting off. No, it's not old Mark up here spouting off. I better be careful what I say. Let me move on. I think it'd be okay if we tighten some things up. And that's what he's telling them to do. A lot of people cheapen coming to church. We Listen, the old saying is familiarity breeds contempt and sometimes it does, but I'm going to tell you I, I am familiar with my wife tonight and I have no contempt for her. But what does happen is familiarity does breed carelessness. It does breed carelessness. And I'm afraid some of us have been in church so long and out, going in and out of church that coming to worship, it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just something we do. And uh, we, we, can, can I put it this way? Let me put it this way. We have lost our awe of coming to meet with God. We've lost our awe. Our A-W-E, our reverence, our excitement, our we see Him for who He is and us for what we are. Take your Bible. I want you to go to the book of 1 Chronicles. And I think this is how we get sometimes. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. Now David is bringing the ark back from Abinadab's house. And, and, and what, what he's done is, is he's put it on a new cart, pulling it with an ox. And I've preached on that before, on David, on doing something good the wrong way. That ark was not supposed to be carried on a new cart. That ark was not supposed to be carried on an old cart. 
There, there, there's four rings on that ark that, that was made for stags to float to go through there and they were to be carried upon the shoulders of the Levites. I was listening to Vance Havner preach the other night and he made a statement over here about he was preaching out of this scripture here. And, and, and what, well, let me read this and, and we'll, I'll, I'll get there. They, they've decided to bring the, the ark back. It's been down at Abinadab's house. They need to remember what I'm about to say, okay? It's been in Abinadab's house for 20 years. And so David, he's going to carry the ark back and that to the, to the place of God over there. He's made it a tent. And in verse 7, And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab, and Yuza and Ahaho drave the cart. Now you need to understand something about Yuza and Ahaho. 2 Samuel 6 tells us that that is Abinadab's sons. So where that ark has sat for 20 years, Ahaho and, and Yuza has been around that ark. For 20 years they've seen that ark. They've been around that thing. And so here's what happens, verse 8. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might, with singing, and with harps, and with psalteries, and with timbrels, and with cymbals, and with trumpets. And, when, and boy, they getting with it, wasn't they? I mean, man, they were praising God. And I believe they were doing it with all their heart, and their, and their motive was right, and their heart was right. And when they came to the threshing floor of Chidon, use up. Oh, oh, I skipped one, didn't I? No? Nope, I'm right. Boy, that don't happen. I better quit. And when they came uh, to the threshing floor of Chidon, Yuza put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Yuza, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. I was listening to Vance Havner preach the other night on David's new cart, and he made this statement right here. He said the problem, the problem was not that the oxen stumbled and that the, and that the ark almost fell off the cart. He said the problem was is there was never supposed to be any oxen and there was never supposed to be a cart. He said that was the problem. And what he was preaching on in that message was the very fact that the church was trying to mix some things, have some new ways of doing things when it ain't the way of God. And boy, he's right on the money, amen. But I, I, I'm just going to look at this tonight. You, you know what I believe you have done right here? He's been around, he's been around that ark for 20 years. And it's no longer the ark, but it's just a box. It's just a box. He's lost his all and his reverence uh, uh, and that for that ark, which means the power of God, the presence of God, uh, uh, and he's lost his reverence for that thing. And when that, and when that cart shook, uh, he just reached out there to get it and didn't think nothing of it. I'm almost afraid that's the way we do church and worship sometimes. We've lost our all to come in here and worship. I've lost my all to come in here sometimes. sometimes listen, pastoring is my job. That's what I do. And sometimes I, I, I lose sight of what my job is. I'm always looking for a message. I read my Bible, man, I'm looking for a message. I mean, you, you preach four times a week. You're needing a message, trust me. I need something. One preacher said, I'm looking for three points and a poem. That's all I need. Amen. I believe he lost his awe toward that ark. And I'm afraid we lose our awe and our reverence and that to God. 
to come in and worship him, whether it is at home or whether it is here. Well, we're just going to church. It's just a building. We've been in and out of it so much that we lose our respect even for the building if we're not careful. I don't even like to come in this house with my hat on. If I come in to do something here and I've been working and I come in here to work, I don't don't even like to come in here with my hat on. So I'm afraid we we lose our our, our attitude toward church is wrong. Sometimes we've cheapened it. I think our music ought to be different than the world's music. I do. I think our dress in here ought to be different than the dress that the world has. I think our faithfulness to it ought to be different. Remember what I said a few minutes ago from your Audi, it may not breed content, but it'll breed carelessness if we're not careful. I, th- I, think, I think when we come in here, we, we ought to just, it, it ought to be different. I think, I, I think we ought to have a time, let, let me stop right here and say this, I think we should have a time of worship uh, uh, at home. When, when's... Have you ever, have you ever just, just got along with God in your prayer closet and just talked to Him and just worshipped Him? I mean, just, just, just had, I mean, just, just seen Him and thanked Him for what He done and, uh, and just praised Him for what He done. And I mean, it do mean you good do that sometimes. I don't, I don't want to cheapen my worship. I, I don't... I, we, we spend so much time doing everything else. And you say, well, preacher, it's stuff that needs to be done. Do you not think you need to worship? We, we come in here sometimes and we do it hurriedly. Do it hurriedly to check it off. No longer reverence in worship. We no longer reverence in worship service. I think you ought to have reverence for the building. I just do. I think the Lord teaches us that. And the reason we miss some of that is because there's other things more important to us than than what's right. If you go back and you read in the book of Luke chapter 10, you'll find about about two sisters over there, Mary and Martha. And and in Luke chapter 10, most of you know the story. If you've read your Bible... At all, you, you know the story about when Jesus come to their house. Luke chapter ten. What what did he tell? What what did he tell Martha? Now now in verse thirty eight. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into, into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now you need to remember that. But Martha was cumbered about much serving. And came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. What was that? That good part was to sit at his feet and hear his words. Martha was more concerned about serving Martha was more concerned about serving Jesus. I mean, she was trying to get her house in order and get things ready to serve him. And she said, Lord, would you please send my sister in here to help me? I've got so much going on. 
And he says, no. He said, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part. Notice what he said, one thing is needful. What she's doing is needful. What she's doing is needed. What you're doing is not needed. But what she's doing is needed. What's needed in our life? I think sitting at his feet. You know, if you read the story about Ruth and Boaz, Ruth goes and gleans in his field in chapter 2. But in the, was it in cha- is it in chapter 3 or 4 that Ruth goes and lays at his feet at night time and, and, and he gives her uh, some wheat that, that they thresh and she puts it in her veil and takes it home. Do you realize that laying at Boaz's feet that she got twice as much, go over and read it, that she got twice as much than she did when she went and gleaned in the field? You get twice as much. We get twice as much when we, when, when we sit at his feet, when we get to his feet. We get twice as much. I, I'm afraid, I'm afraid we, we put way too much in front of what's right tonight. And I don't want to do that. Let's bow our heads tonight if we would.